0: This morning we're looking at yet another aspect of God. If you remember previously we have looked at the love of God, we looked at, uh, the forgiveness of God, we looked at the presence of God last week. Today we're looking at the wrath of God. You might be surprised that it's probably not everyone's favorite topic. It's to talk about the wrath of God. I don't think we probably took much pride in talking about the wrath of our fathers when we were children, when we made mistakes or did things wrong, and so while wrath is not a popular topic, it is one that needs to be discussed, and so this morning I want to show what we can learn from the mornings about God's wrath and when and how He unleashes His wrath, and we think about these things, we think about God's wrath, we have to remember there's always reasons why God acts and does the things that he does. When we think about that idea we know sometimes when we talk to people today they'll bring up the wrath of God and bring up his anger and his vengeance and things such as that. But we always have to think about one of the biggest questions is why man sees the wrath of God. Why do we see that side of God? Think back for a moment and ask yourself, why did your parents get mad at you in certain situations? Why did your dad maybe pull out the belt at certain times? Why did your mother get on to you? It's of the same idea. You did something that was not right. we think about why man sees the wrath of God, is because man does things at times that are not right in the sight of God. If they're not right in the sight of God, then they're just not right. Because we know I hear people, say, we hear people say sometimes, well, I don't see anything wrong with it, but that doesn't really matter, does it? If God says something is sin, then that's all that matters. We see, man's, we see rather God's wrath when man dismisses or rebels against God's commands. When man dismisses, you might say just make little of it, of God's commands or this flat-out rebels against God's commands, we see the wrath of God. We think about Psalm 94, beginning here in verse 1. Here the writer says, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs. O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. You think about that idea for just a moment. To whom vengeance belongs. Does that imply who is right to bring out vengeance upon others? It's God. It's not us. It is God. He says, Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. He's saying here that the people are rebelling against you. They're ignoring you. They're laughing at God, basically. But again, notice in verses 1 and following how the Lord is described. He's described as the one who vengeance belongs. He's described as the judge in verse 2. He's also described as the one who renders punishment, which again reminds us who is right to bring out wrath and to bring out vengeance. It is God. And we find there in verse three and following the reasons why He is asking God to bring out His vengeance, how the others speech and speak insolent things, which be things which go against God. All the workers of iniquity are all the workers of sin," He says, both in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage, that is, they are harassing your followers. They slay the widow and the stranger. And murder the foolish. Yet they say the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. That's quite the statement, isn't it? God doesn't see what we're doing. God doesn't understand why we're doing these things. You ever talk to someone and you try to encourage them to do what is right, and you hear them say, "You just don't understand how sad it is." God understands when we're sick. God understands and we're going through difficult times, but God never, never understands deliberate, purposeful, willful rebellion and sin. When we look there in verse look at there in verses one and following, that's what we're talking about. We're not talk, talking about someone who is struggling to do what is right or someone who, who does wrong from time to time. They are saying, God is a laughingstock. who cares what he's doing? In verse 7, they flat out say there, he says, yet they say the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. France, he understands fully, doesn't he? You go back to the days of Noah, you think Noah didn't hear people say, well, you just don't understand Noah. Noah understood. That's why he was on the ark. You go back to Solomon and Gomorrah and Lot, and the things that happened there, Lot knew why the angels, the messengers of God, were there. That's why he told them, don't stay in the square, because Lot understood what was going on. Those who were there were too vile and too wicked to do so. God will not tolerate those who dismiss his commands as if they do not matter. Rebellion is disrespect towards God and shows the absence of love of of God. Can you be rebellious against people and really be showing your love for them? Can you be rebellious against your parents and still say, rightfully so, that you love them? Well, no. It's only different with God, is it? You cannot be rebellious towards God and say with a straight face, I love Him. Yet we do that so many times today. Those around us will do that. So why does man see the wrath of God? Because man will dismiss or flat out rebel against God and not too far detached from that also man will refuse to repent this is much different than or different in some ways in that man here acknowledges sin but just refuses to change you know we saw there in the Psalms there in Psalm 94 one and following they just ignored God rebelled against him God doesn't understand, he doesn't see so we're just going to keep doing what we're doing Refusal to repent is saying, I see it, but I just am not going to change. I see the error, but I'm not going to change. Refusal to, to, uh, refusal to repent is refusal to correct wrongs toward God. When we don't correct wrongs, nothing good ever happens. It just gets worse, doesn't it? If you have an affection on your toe and you just let it go, what happens? It gets worse. It doesn't heal on its own, does it? You know, I was reminded very quickly in the last year when things are let go or things go unnoticed, it can get very serious very quickly. When we, sin is the same way. If we ignore it, it only gets worse. Bad things don't magically become okay. No, they get worse. And sin is like a disease. It will spread. And it will spread beyond us. If we refuse to repent, those around us Will start to be affected. Instead, you'll start, instead of hearing, well, they need to change, we'll start hearing things like, well, it's really not that big of a deal. And there you go, it spreads more and more. Refusal to admit wrong before God results in separation from Him. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says that quite plainly. Your iniquities, or sins, have separated you from your God. Sin separates us from God. Repentance takes care of the sin. Therefore, we want to keep close to God. We have to repent when we make mistakes. It's never easy. Is it ever easy to admit you've done wrong? Well, no, it's not. You got to swallow out of pride and admit it. But what happens if you don't? Things just get worse. It doesn't matter what area of life we're talking about, what situation it may be. It just gets worse. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, it's the same idea. Your sin left alone. It's going to get worse. It's going to separate you from God. The last person we want separation from. There may be those in life we want separation from, but God should not be one of them. Separation from God is separation from His blessings and separation from salvation. So these are just some Broad reasons why we see the wrath of God. And we see there very plainly rejection, dismissal, refusal to repent. How is God's wrath revealed? And we want to look at some ways it's revealed in the Bible, ways it's revealed during certain periods of time and how it's done, and also think about how we still see God's wrath today in certain times. And don't jump ahead me when I say that. But we're going to get to that in just a second. How God's wrath is revealed. God's wrath is sometimes revealed through non-violent punishment. When someone says they don't like, you know, they don't like the idea of the wrath of God. What are they probably thinking about? Fiery indignation, right? They're thinking about people being uh, having fire and brimstone rain upon them, like Sodom and Gomorrah. They think about the floods, thinking about the waters of the sea, the Red Sea, crashing down upon. The Egyptian army. We know God punished people sometimes without violence. That doesn't mean people did not die. But God did not always punish with violence. The wilderness wanderings, while resulting in death for those who rebelled and were afraid, were a form of non-violent punishment. Hard labor was also a form of non-violent punishment. We look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and following. What's one of the first things that the Lord says to Adam when they're being about to be expelled from the garden? You're about to work much, much harder, Adam. Everything, when they left the garden, everything got 10 times, ten times, we're going to call it, more difficult than they were in the garden. You know what that teaches us? Things are always harder without God. In the garden, they were literally walking with God. The Bible tells us that, that, right? When Adam and Eve had sinned, they hear the sound of who? Walking in the garden. The sound of God. Showing that closeness. They had everything they needed in the garden. They just had to tend it. I'm not the best gardener, but I'm sure if that was the case, I would try my best to figure out how to do it. But, when they disobeyed, what does the Bible say there, verse 17 and following in Genesis chapter 3? Then God, then, then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and you have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. So because you disobeyed, he says, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, from, for dust you are. In the dust you shall return. Everything just got much, much harder. Non-violent punishment. Adam, you're going to work like a dog, we say sometimes. And it's going to, what? Come very, very difficult. You know, think about, again, comparing obedience to what happens as a result of disobedience in the garden. Remember how the Bible says that water misted from the ground? Which is the old school sprinkler system, basically. All you had to do was tend it. And now everything is multiple, multiple times more difficult. Non-violent punishment. The wilderness wanderings, my resulting in death, God did not strike them all down immediately. No, except for 40 years, had to think about what they've done. Boy, that's nonviolent punishment, isn't it? You ever tell your child, sit over there and think about what you've done. What well, if you tell them sit there for 40 years and think about what you're done? You're not going anywhere. That's a long time to dwell, isn't it? Non-violent punishment. Is it any wonder why, back in Psalm, that the psalmist says that you are what? You're the righteous judge and the one who can render punishment because God does it the best. For 40 years, that's a long time out. If you don't think about it that way, but they would ultimately pay with, with their lives. With the section of Caleb and Joshua. And of course, there is violent punishment. And you think about why you see violent and nonviolent punishment. I think it's because of what has happened. You might say the I want to, I want to say the, the degree, but the severity of it. I think sometimes is why we see what's happened. Not that one sin is greater than the other, but sometimes some things are just more appalling. You say, you know what? That's it. If your child mouths off to you, that's one thing. But if they say something that's profane and foul, don't you still correct them maybe a little more quickly in a different way? The correction is still coming, but it's a little more severe. Through violent punishment, the flood of Noah's time, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the the, thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man always was thinking about sinful veins. Boy, that's pretty intense, isn't it? Every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. That is a special kind of wickedness. And the Lord was sorry he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. He was sorry. That's pretty intense, to think about God being so appalled that He said He was sorry that He had made man the earth. That's how bad things were in the times of Noah. You know, sometimes we're not careful. We kind of can read a a certain story over and over again. We kind of think, we kind of dumb it down in the mind. Yeah, they were so wicked, so God just destroyed them all. They were so vile, God said He wished He never made man. That's how vile they were. The Lord said, I will destroy men whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. What happens? Noah finds grace in the eyes of God. Eight souls are saved, and that's it. God has no problem with quick and, yes, violent punishment. What's interesting about Noah's time, wasn't so quick, but it most definitely was violent, wasn't it? The whole earth flooded with water. Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis chapter 18. Violent punishment. But again, look at why. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. More than just a mistake or a slip-up, isn't it? He says, I will go down now. And see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. He will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. He's going to do what? Spy them out, isn't he? In verse, in chapter 19, verses 23 through 25, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on the song of Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew the cities and all, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. Some historians would go so far as to say it would be hard to know perhaps even their exact location anymore because of the severity of their destruction. The same is also, I believe, said of the city of Tyre later on as well. Fire and brimstone came down from heaven. Out of the heavens, right? Out of the heavens, not literally from heaven, but out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities. Why did he do that? Because of their tremendous sin, isn't it? God's violent punishment is seen where God's violent punishment is needed. You know, we think about this and and we think about how we only looked at the Old Testament, haven't we? Do you see God's violent punishment in the New Testament? What about Ananias and Sapphira? They breed their last, right? Why? Because, as the Apostle Peter says, you have not lied to men, but to God. And they both died. God was not against violent punishment. But he did not always use it, did he? No, he wanted mankind And still wants mankind to be saved. Some lessons for us today God only punishes the wicked. The righteous are not punished by God. Doesn't mean that righteous are not affected by the wicked. Doesn't mean that righteous are not affected by the punishment coming upon the wicked in some way. I mean, Lot had to leave, didn't he? What else did Lot have to find out on that day he left Sodom and Gomorrah? His wife wasn't quite, wasn't listening to God quite as much as she should have. What did she do on the way out of, out of Sodom and Gomorrah? The Bible says she turned back, right? She turned, or she looked back, rather. Remember, the command was for them to don't look back. And she did. She disobeyed. The Bible says she became like a pillar of salt. You remember also, though, that Lot had sons-in-law who did not come out of the city. They thought thought his words were like he was joking. You know, those who could have been spared were not because they did not believe. And what happens if you do not believe the words of God? You'll die with the wicked. And when you don't listen to God, you become one of the wicked, don't you? I mean, that's the very definition of somebody who's wicked, somebody who doesn't listen to God. God only punishes the wicked. Who died in the flood? Only the wicked... Who died in Son of Gamora, Those involved in sin and those who refused to listen to God. God's wrath is avoidable. That's our next point. God's wrath is avoidable. You think about during the flood. All those years that Noah was preparing the ark, the New Testament also refers to Noah in the flood. He referred to Noah as a preacher of righteousness, which means during that time preparing the ark, he did more than just prepare the ark. Do we know how much Noah preached? We have no idea. But why is he referred to as the preacher of righteousness unless he was a preacher of righteousness? Do you think he warned those people? Think about this. Do you think he knew those people? you think they were his acquaintance, some of them? But just because he knew them, maybe was familiar with them, doesn't mean, of course, he was involved in their sin. Because we know people today who are involved in sin. And because we know them doesn't mean we are involved with that. But you think when Noah saw the ark door shut, he knew those who were outside were some of those who he knew very well, and they weren't on that ark for a reason? Because they were disobedient. God's wrath is avoidable. If they had decided to listen to God, to change, they could see literally they're writing on the wall. I mean, Noah's building an ark for a reason. Instead, they probably, I'm sure, called him crazy instead because he builds an ark but there's no flood. One is listening to God because one is coming. God's wrath is avoidable. Those who face God's wrath could have avoided it. Those in some of Gomorrah's time, they could have repented. And just because the entire city may not have turned around, there could have been those who say, you know what? We need to listen to what Lot is saying. We need to realize there are messengers from God here because we're all doing wickedly. We need to stop. We need to turn back to God. That could have happened. But their actions show that it did not. And so because they did not do what was necessary to avoid the wrath of God, they faced the wrath of God. You think about the wilderness wonderings. More could have believed the words of Caleb and Joshua. They could have said, you know what, they're right. Let's go up and take the land. They're nothing before us because God is with us. They could have said that, but they didn't. They listened to the masses, and the masses, none unlike what we see so many times still today, the masses were literally dead wrong. And they paid dearly for it. Again, those in the Song of Gomorrah could have repented and been spared. So many times throughout the Bible we find where individuals could have avoided the wrath of God. You think about one of the most well-known books, well-known stories or accounts, whether in the Bible, where a city is spared, you think about, at least for a time, you think about Nineveh in the days of Jonah, don't you? His purpose, even though he wasn't fully on board with it, <laughs> obviously, was to go and preach against Nineveh and warn them that they had 40 days until the wrath of God came—literally a countdown till, till doom, right? And what happened? They they listened, at least at that time. The king came out, made decrees so everybody needs to repent, everybody needs to change their ways, and boy, don't you wish that happened today? But that's what he did. And for that time, they did not see the wrath of God. Doesn't mean they didn't later. But they were fair because they did what was necessary to avoid the wrath of God. And we can still do that today. Do we see the wrath of God today? I think we do. I think we see it at different times, different ways. Can we prove it without a shadow of a doubt? No. But sometimes one is left to wonder when wickedness is overrun by goodness maybe we see certain things that play out maybe certain events maybe certain storms whatever it may be you can be left to wonder can we say without fact yes that's exactly what happened no we think about Hurricane Katrina and all that wickedness that happened in that area before that makes you wonder we think about wicked people throughout the world different places and events that take place and it makes you wonder can we prove that no but we know that even if God does not pour out his wrath today in a way which we can say, point and say, that is it, the day of judgment is coming, though, isn't it? In which there is no question. That God's wrath will be, will be shown against all those who will not do what that was is good and pleasing in his sight. God unleashes his wrath only in the necessary measure and only on the wicked. Only on the wicked. Was it necessary to destroy all those who didn't believe the words of Caleb and Jacob? God didn't think so. He taught them a slow lesson. But you think about it also, those who came out of the wilderness, it wasn't just Caleb and Jacob, was it? It was the sons of others, uh, the sons and children of others who were innocent, as the Bible says. There were some who were innocent in that. Did they learn a lesson from their parents who didn't listen? Oh, yeah, for 40 years they reminded us. Why am we here? Oh, yeah, because you didn't listen to God. I don't think they said that, but that's why they were there, right? God's wisdom is also seen in his wrath, and the wilderness wanderings is one example of that. God unleashes his wrath only in the necessary measure, and only on the wicked. God also gives his blessings in it's worthy measure as well, but only to the faithful. If we think about God's wrath, and how it's doled out to those who deserve it, blessings are done the same way, aren't they? They're given to those who have done what's necessary to acquire it. Ephesians chapter 1. All those who are in Christ uh, have what? Spiritual blessings are only in Christ Jesus, right? Ephesians chapter 1. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 tells us all those who, are, who have been baptized in Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, those who have put on Christ have spiritual blessings. They're only found in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1. God also gives His blessings in His worthy measure, but only to the faithful. Only to the faithful. And I know you've heard me say before about how a young lady years ago asked me, do you believe in the vengeful God or a loving God? I said, well, your actions depend which one you see, isn't it? Your actions decide which ones you see, which side you see. Which side of God do you want to see? You know, if you don't want your parents to be mad at you, what do you do? You do what is right. You know their rules for the house. You know how they want you to, to act. The language you're to use, the language you're not to use, what you should be doing each and every day. If you don't do it, you see a side of your parents you probably don't want to see, which is them correcting you. And the same is said for God. We want to see the right side of God. We want to see His blessings and His love. We do what's necessary to see that. And we find that by our obedience to God's Word, our obedience to His will, and we begin that process by putting on Christ in baptism. The Bible tells us how we can have part of the blessings from God and avoid the wrath of God. All mankind today can still avoid the wrath of God by hearing God's word, believing it, repenting of repenting their sins, confessing Christ, being immersed in baptism. As you find all those things being taken place in the book of Acts, every step we can find in the book of Acts, just in one book you find all those things. And then remaining faithful to God, again, we find that in the book of Acts, don't we? All those steps we find throughout the book of Acts, which, show, which tell us that there is a pattern for how man is to act in order to have salvation. It involves us obeying God's word and following the steps we find, the pattern we see throughout not only just the book of Acts, but throughout the New Testament as well. This morning, as you think about these things, if we can help you or encourage you any way. We'd be glad to do so. That's going to be saying, sing the song that's been selected.